Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise and thank the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this, his ministry tonight. Uh, listen, a great show tonight, uh, very special guest, Doug Bundy, faithful LDS member. And uh, so call your friends right now. If you're watching streaming from other parts of the world, tell them to uh, tune in because we are going to have a, a great uh, interview with Doug Bundy, uh, a faithful LDS member. Came up uh, just a couple days ago, so we're going to get into that in just a second. Coming this March 1st, we're launching our own 24-7 television network on local broadcast TV, KPDR 19.3. Our hope is to jump to Comcast and then direct and then dish. Prayers uh, are requested. We're doing everything we can to make it a station people can uh, relate to and trust, working hard to bring in the best exegetical verse-by-verse uh, -verse teachers of the word, apologists, Christian programming all around. Take a look at this promotion now. Got some great stuff planned, uh, some new programming, new original spots. We've been talking to some uh, guys from Disney who are interested in doing an animated, special animated feature for the uh, station. So we look forward to getting involved. A lot of stuff with LDS, but probably more like 90, 95% will be just about biblical Christianity and teaching the word. Keep us in prayer. Really appreciate it that God's hand will be on this. Got an email from Dr. James White informing us that he has addressed some of my issues with five-point Calvinism on his recent radio program out of Arizona. Uh, I have not uh, and will not listen to it as I don't watch or listen to anything that we ever do in the media. I don't go back and rewatch it, except for the uh, three-part interview with John Dellen. I watched that whole thing on Mormon Stories. But, uh, however, we've had a number of people contact us and report on Brother White's assessment of my position on Calvinism and apparently on my competence or lack thereof. And uh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Uh, we want Brother White to know we love him, appreciate what he does for the king, and pray he continues to go and move forward as he's led. He must be a, uh, extremely intelligent, and, but more importantly, he's a man of faith. Uh, we try very hard not to criticize brothers and sisters by name on this show. Uh, yes, I failed in the past, as I've mentioned, uh, Henny Ben once and uh, uh, old Jostein a couple times. Um, but uh, I am learning and I refuse to fight fire with fire in the case of Brother James White. Listen closely, really, please. Uh, I don't care personally one bit if believers want to embrace Calvinism, even hyper five-point Calvinism. I know many tremendous Christians who do, and they are greater men and women in the faith than I'll ever be. Uh, but from my perspective, which is admittedly limited and gets messed up, the position is man-made, and it fails, in my opinion, to truly represent God as sovereign, all-knowing, all-loving, and a God who desires that all would be saved. So perhaps even more importantly now, 
in relation to what we do here on Heart of the Matter. Um, the Calvinistic premise is absolutely uh, anathematic to uh, LDS theology. And so if we're a ministry that is seeking to reach LDS people, it doesn't do us any good if we are Calvinists in any sense because they can't even understand it. They don't get it, and neither do I. So for us, to, I, don't, I don't refuse Calvinism because we're in the ministry to reach LDS people, but I refuse Calvinism on its own failing merits, in my opinion. But it does help the ministry uh, to uh, not be people who support it when it comes to talking with Latter-day Saints, and I hope that makes sense. Within Mormonism, there tends to be a number of factious categories among active members, and I say factious is probably not a good word because they really aren't at war with each other. But first, there are the toe-the-party-line faithful who ardently cling to anything that the brethren have said uh, in the past. Um, these types often regurgitate LDS ideas unapologetically and without any variance from the party line. I mean, this is what is said, this is what is, and that's it. Then there are challengers to the party line who are faithful members. They tend to try to see outside of the LDS box, and they'll talk about other alternatives, sometimes to assuage the somewhat some of the idiocy that might have come down through the ages. Uh, for instance, we see that the church, LDS church, is now admitting that some of their leaders have made mistakes relative to blacks in the priesthood. That's, that's recently come out. So, so those, those challengers to uh, some LDS things, they're a different kind of group. And, um, and, and then there's a general group of LDS souls who don't care anything about doctrine or theology or, uh, or praxis. All they really love the church for is our social programs, the fact that they have a good youth program, and uh, they have good values and, and, and good, clean fun. So, for example, when I was LDS, there was, among many, many other things that were taught to us, an ardently held belief that Jesus was born on April 6th. This was common among our, uh, the faith. This exact date idea originated from a widespread misreading of Doctrine and Covenants, section 20. Interestingly enough, the misunderstanding was propagated and touted even by LDS leaders over the ages. I mean, the respected uh, LDS apostle, James Talmadge, said in his popular book, uh, Jesus the Christ, published in 1915, this is a quote, we believe that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea, April 6th, B.C. 1. That's a quote from Jesus the Christ, which was, uh, we were allowed to take on our missions and read that on our mission. So even to this day, April 6th, 1 B.C. is still touted uh, by the LDS mindless, so to speak, myself included, when I was active 12 years ago. Over the years, LDS challengers have come forward and questioned that date. These included noteworthy names like uh, J. Reuben Clark and uh, Bruce McConkie. They postulated that the Lord was born somewhere in December in uh, 5 or 4 B.C. Now, that was against the party line, but they kind of challenged uh, what everybody interpreted Section 20 to say. And uh, then the rest of the LDS uh, faithful kind of remain oblivious to the dating at all. My point in bringing this up is to sort of illustrate something. First, the LDS, especially in the early days of the church, were very quick to pronounce and uh, pounce authoritatively on all sorts of subjects that were frankly outside of their realm of knowledge. Uh, they got away with it because they could hide under the umbrella of authority and no one really challenged it. And they just said, okay, that's what we believe. This is why uh, Smith got away with teaching polygamy as a Bible tenet, and Young got away with teaching that Adam was God and blood atonement, and a host of other things that LDS leaders have taught without being really questioned. It was just kind of came from the top, and the majority of the believers, uh, members just kind of passed it along like blacks in the priesthood and Cain and the flood and on and on and on. So the doctrine of liberty was truly religion building. 
it just, they just built their culture and their religion by everyone just hearing it from the top, sort of, passing it along, not really challenging, and it just grew and, and got legs. Um, I also find it interesting how myths and opinions within Mormonism be, can become so pervasive, so persuasive, that even apostles like James Talmadge would write in Jesus the Christ that they believe Jesus' birth was uh, April 6th, B.C. 1. I mean, that's, that's really interesting because it really came from a misreading of Doctrine and Covenants section 20. And additionally, it's amazing how when new superior information comes along and is presented today, the party line is resistant because it uproots the fact that they have trusted in their former leaders' opinions. And so it's like there's like this disconnect, a cognitive disconnect. No, 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 no. And it's just kind of ignored. When was Jesus born? We don't know. Uh, again, within the body, there are some excellent ideas and notions and research, but it's really not important, and I'm not sure anybody can tell you. Uh, April 6th, for the most part, is scoffable by most people who are in the know when it comes to Hebrew holidays and how God's work. Maybe this is what I'm really trying to say, that maybe Mormonism is beginning to see it just can't say whatever it wants authoritatively anymore. People are just getting too smart. Uh, the internet has given them too much information and uh, for kind of for them to get away with it uh, any longer. Thank God. All right, and from that, how about a moment from the word before we get to our guest, Doug Bundy. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, um, I believe personally that his ability to communicate openly during his ministry years was probably hindered by the fact that he had to speak unadulterated truth um, all the time. I think the reason for this is because his words would have to have application to the present moment, to the past, and to the future. And so when he would speak, he would have to speak in terms that would encompass all time. And uh, that's why when the apostles would ask him questions, a very simple question, he would respond with sometimes very strange, even apparently unrelated or esoteric uh, responses. Because he was speaking in universal truths to questions that he couldn't just say, yeah, I don't know about that one, you know. And he had to be very careful with his language uh, because he is the truth. And so the point is when Jesus spoke, it was true. And what he said is true. It couldn't be anything but true. And so in Matthew 13, Jesus has been teaching in parables, which is another form of speech that gave him a little liberty because it would depend on the hearer on how they would interpret what he said. But he had been teaching in parables, and at verse 53 of 13, it says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, inasmuch as they were astonished, and said, Whence has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence has this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Mark puts it this way. A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Is that a true statement Jesus made? Absolutely it's true. Of course it is. Family and friends and neighbors never revere true holy men, true prophets, when he returns to the hood, so to speak. To them, Jeremiah is still Jerry, and Thomas, the prophet, is still going to be little snot-nosed Tommy. They don't get honor because they're seen in their flesh instead of for their spiritual uh, attributes. Jesus' words were true and applicable across time and the globe, except in the case of Mormonism. Only in Mormonism is their prophet, locally grown and raised, honored 
in the same towns and cities with, from which he came. Only in Mormonism do the prophet's town folks stand when those same guys who grew up among them enter the room. In the face of this, either Jesus was wrong or maybe the LDS prophets are really not prophets at all. With that, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, love you and need you. We thank you for your son. Pray that you'll be with Doug and I. Doug, come on forward as we talk tonight and, and share a time here on this stage. We pray for our viewers, whoever they are, wherever they are, and whenever they watch, that your spirit will be with them. And uh, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, I'll hand you this, Doug. Uh, we have long maintained, come on up, step right up to this phone. We have long maintained that the only LDS people we would have on the show are official LDS representatives. And this has been an actual long-standing policy we've had because to bring a non-LDS official uh, on the show, um, anybody could come up and they could be LDS and they could say, well, I don't believe that, or that's not true, or, or, or well, we don't really see it that way. And they could spin and there's really nothing we could do to hold their feet to the fire because they're constantly trying to uh, protect the church. Well, we're breaking our policy tonight for a couple reasons. First, breaking policies is fun. So uh, we thought, let's break a policy tonight. I'm just in a policy-making, breaking mood. And then also, more importantly, our guest tonight, from what I've seen and what I've heard about him, is that he has, uh, I'm gonna call it LDS integrity. And my brother, younger brother, has this too. And that is, they speak what Mormonism is. They're not afraid, they believe it, this is how it is. They don't do it to jockey for position. And so uh, uh, I personally don't care what someone believes. You'll never see me get red in the face if somebody is explaining their faith and it's, uh, it's in line with what they really believe. And, and so uh, uh, I have been assured that we would get an honest representation from our guest tonight, Brother Doug Bundy. Welcome, Doug. Thank you, thank you very much. You're welcome, <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm gonna get to you, I promise. Okay, all right. Before we get to our series of open-ended questions, and, and I'm gonna talk to Doug, and I'm gonna give him a question, and he's gonna answer, and that's what it's gonna be. I'm not gonna say, wait a minute, or blah, blah, blah. It's gonna be Doug telling the, the answers. Doug was born and raised in Colorado. He attended several churches with his friends and his youth, joined none of them. He went into the military. He thought Mormonism was uh, laughable. He heard jokes about it, but then he found himself stationed in Utah. After being discharged from the military, Doug enrolled at Weber State. He met several LDS people, attended some meetings, and was challenged by his wife today of 44 years to essentially read the Book of Mormon. He decided to climb a mountain in a kind of a search, ponder, and pray moment. And after completing a very arduous journey to the top, realized Mormonism was for him. And he says, I quote, he had a duty and privilege to be baptized following the example of the Savior and the prophet that the Savior and the prophets had set, end quote. He was baptized July 31st, uh, 1965, served a mission to Chile. And uh, his once Barbara, uh, his wife now returned from her mission, they wed. They are the parents of six children, 17 grandchildren, all living in and around Layton, Utah area. Doug has been a high priest since 1970, has served in several bishoprics. He's also been a teacher many times, served on a number of LDS missions, recently returning from Puerto Rico. And Doug has never been a stake high council or a bishop of a ward. And so we welcome Doug to our program again. What I'd like to do is ask you a few questions, actually several questions about Mormonism, your views, views on Christianity, and I think I know what your responses will be, um, but this is so the audience can hear some straight talk. Would that be okay? That would be okay, Sean. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. I never, ever expected this to happen. I, this is amazing. Yeah. This is amazing. I, I knew your policy. You yeah. stated it many times. Yeah. I didn't think you'd ever break it for me. It's policy-breaking <laughs> night. Okay. Now, uh, I'm going to ask some follow-up questions, just for clarification's sake, on the topic at hand. But this is not to debate or challenge. We're going to let Doug talk. So here we go. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, as an active Latter-day Saint, what would you say is the most correct scriptural book on the face of the earth today? 
And not only according to you, Doug, but also to the general consensus of the LDS church faithful. Well, that would be the Book of Mormon. Uh, they state that uh, very clearly. And the reason is, is that it was uh, uh, come from, it was preserved in the earth for all those years and then uh, put in the hands of, of the servant of the Lord by God himself, sending his messengers. So that's why they say, but you have to understand that that book is a summary. That's a lot of times the point that, that is missed is that it's a summary of the records of Joseph. Uh, not, uh, it's, it's different. An abridgment? It's an abridgment, you know. Okay. So it's, it's a little different than, than the Bible. This is not an abridgment, at least that we know of. Do you believe that the Book of Mormon will bring a person closer to God than the Bible, and why? No, it doesn't say that exactly. Here's what I believe. I believe that the Book of Mormon uh, assumes a good knowledge of the Bible. If you don't understand the Bible, I don't think you can understand the Book of Mormon okay. that well, or you're going to miss a lot of it. There's a lot of things you can understand, of course, but uh, it, it really assumes that you have a grounded knowledge in the Bible. Okay. Uh, what do you honestly think of the Bible? I love the Bible. <laughs> I love especially uh, the Old Testament. Mm. Uh, the Old Testament, uh, I think, is, uh, is really gives us an example of what uh, the New Testament was going to be, right? Mm. I mean, it's, it's the same thing with the New Testament. It really is lost on you if you don't understand the Old Testament. I would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that yeah. completely. So you love it. Do you trust it? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's another misconception that, that goes around. Yeah, Whoa. That, it's not that the Mormons don't trust the Bible. They don't trust the, the uh, translation of the Bible. Well, and, uh, well, we have our translations, right? Well, people are translating it today and taking things out of it, right? Right. I mean, so, yeah. so if we use their translation, we wouldn't really trust it, would we? No, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. But all we have are translations, so essentially you don't trust the Bible. Well, I guess you could make that argument, but I, I don't buy that. Okay. Argument. All right. All right. Listen, uh, what do you think the LDS people generally, you're an honest man, think of the Bible? Well, you know, just as in all churches, you've got a whole spectrum of people. You right. know? So if you're talking about the leaders, then, then that's one thing. If you're talking about the general membership, then general. that's another thing. The yeah. people. The people. It, it, it turns out, I think, that they misunderstand a lot when uh, the leadership uh, uh, encourages them to read the Book of Mormon and they grow up. Uh, I know the Book of Mormon is true. Well, we obviously know that even though they're saying that they know the Book of Mormon is true. Uh, I used to cringe when my kids would get up and repeat that little mantra that they all repeat, right? Mm. Uh, so for that reason, I think that, that that question is really hard to answer if, for all. Uh, the, Not all, just in general. But, but in general, yeah. General, you can't answer it? Uh, well. You've been a member a long time. No, but, uh, well, again, what was the question? What do you think the general membership of the LDS Church thinks of the Bible? Do they hold it in the same regard as you do? They take it with them to all their classes. They read it. They study it. Well, I mean, I don't know how to, I can't speak for them. I know, I know, I, know, but, I but, love them, but yeah, I think, I think they would probably think the Book of Mormon would supersede the Bible, but that's wrong. That's, well, I'm not saying whether it's wrong or not. Yeah, I just want to know what yeah. the general, general yeah, consensus is. Unfortunately, I okay. think that's true. That, Thank that you. should be corrected. All right. Is the Bible, in your opinion, sufficient for providing all a person needs to understand salvation, and I'm going to put slash exaltation so that we don't confuse those. We're just going to say to understand what it means to live with Heavenly Father after this life. Is the Bible sufficient? No. Okay. No, because otherwise, why would we have the Book of Mormon? The, the I don't reason, know. <laughs> the reason I say that is because the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel, uh, which is not in the Bible. It is in the Bible, but it's not recognized as the fullness of the gospel. And so... You can't uh, reject part of the gospel and accept uh, part of it. Okay, you got to so accept the fullness. What is a Christian missing who loves and reads the Bible? What are they missing by rejecting the Book of Mormon? When they reject the Book of Mormon, they're rejecting another testament of Jesus Christ. That means that uh, they're uh, not uh, accepting the fact that Jesus uh, appeared to 
uh, and, and dwelt among the early American Christians. Okay. So aside from that, which is a belief of yours, but what are they missing in terms of content? They're missing in terms of contact. Like if I would ask you what the fullness of the gospel was, what would you tell me? That Christ came, he lived his life, he died, he suffered for sin, he resurrected. That's the fullness of the gospel. Yeah, and it's not the fullness of the gospel according to the Latter-day Saints. See, they, that's part of the gospel. That's probably the most important part of the gospel. But that message of personal salvation is coupled with the national salvation of Israel. So when you read Isaiah, when you read uh, Ezekiel, when you read uh, Zechariah, when you read Jeremiah, when you read many of the Old Testaments and, of course, Testament prophets, and you read the New Testament, you're going to hear about the salvation of Israel. They, were, they fell, Paul said, right, so that the Gentiles could be grafted in. But he also said that the Gentiles should be not wise in their own conceits because the important thing was is that the Lord could graft them in again. And so, the, so you're teaching us Romans 9, but again, what does Romans the... 11. What is, thank you. What, is, what, is, uh, what does the Book of Mormon bring to the table that Christians are missing? Because we have Isaiah, we yeah, have Jeremiah. But you don't understand it. So, so the Book of Mormon then gives clarification of what Isaiah and Jeremiah mean. Exactly. Okay. What the Old Testament prophets mean. Okay. And that the fact that the Lord will, that America, the land of America is Zion. See, the Christians don't understand that. Okay. So uh, to the Christian audience out there and to people, you don't understand that America is Zion. This is from Doug, and he's, he's citing what the LDS believe. And uh, is it the New Jerusalem? The New Jerusalem, the city of New Jerusalem that the Lord said would be built in America. Yeah. Okay. And just this isn't in my notes, but as a, as a sideway, as a segue, do you believe then that the LDS are going to help the New Jerusalem and America become the Zion that it is through political, theopolitical means? No, no. no. And, and okay. see, that's why many times when you're talking about that on your show, I it wish drives I, you nuts. I wish, no, but I just wish I could have been by your side. To well, you are you. now. <laughs> so. <laughs> so what do they mean when, when America is the new Zion? It's new not Jerusalem? a political sol uh, uh, solution. Theopolitical, theocratic. It, what, see, that's the idea. The idea is, is the idea. that church is... Uh, is going down, as I was mentioning today. But I told him I wouldn't say this. Church because, is going down. Uh, because uh, uh, it gets into things that we won't be able to resolve. But the, f the fact is, if you're talking about that, the vision is not a political uh, uh, takeover of the United States, okay. like others would, would, would say. It, but it is a theocracy. When it's established, because the powers of heaven will be among the inhabitants of the New Jerusalem, and Jesus himself will be in their midst, it's then a theocracy. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you, Doug. Okay. Um, can a person truly be considered a Christian who does not accept the Book of Mormon? Yes or no? Uh, no. Okay. How come? <laughs> okay. <laughs> The reason is, is because the only salvation remaining for the Gentiles, this has been declared by the Latter-day Saints since 1845, is that for them to repent and to be baptized into the Mormon church, because that's the church that the Lord established by his hand. He said he would establish it if they would uh, not harden their hearts against it. And uh, that way they become numbered among the house of Israel. See, that's the key. Why? That's why Paul said, all Israel shall be saved. Right. That's because the Gentiles become part of the house of Israel. They're numbered with them and identified in the same covenant and worship at the same altar. Doesn't the Bible also say that in Christ there is no Jew or Greek? Yes. So then with this whole meshing and adoption into the house of Israel in Christ Jesus... There's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no Je it's just It's just those who are believers and those who are not. Am I wrong? No, that's right. Uh, there's the house of Israel. There are no Jews, there are no Greek. That's just the, the uh, people, the covenant people of the Lord. Okay. And he makes that clear in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Okay, yeah. good stuff from Doug Bundy. Now listen, Doug, in the Bible, we know that it has a tangible material history. We know that the Bible, there's a linguistic history. There's manuscript evidence that goes way back. Dead Sea Scrolls help support Isaiah. You mentioned Isaiah. And, and we have a genetic history. You want to talk about Jerusalem? You can go there. 
You want to talk about peoples. We can see Semitic tribes. We can see all kinds of stuff through the Bible which has a tangible, literal history. So how do you know then, Doug, that the Book of Mormon is authentically the Word of God? Because it's a, 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 what we call it, a digest. It is a compendium of the actual records. So we don't really have the information that we would need that we have in the Bible because it's one man trying to give really a religious history of the people, the former inhabitants of America. But nevertheless, it, it might be a compendium and it might be a summary or an abridgment, but it is an abridgment of supposedly a real people in a real place with real heritage, real bloodlines, real uh, 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 plates, real wars, real death in a real land. So. How, again, do you validate the authenticity of this book that you put so much trust well, in? Well, uh, the way I validate it is that it's a fulfillment of the Bible. I, I validate it with the Bible, not with the uh, artifacts that people argue over that they found. You so know, you they, use the artifacts of the Bible to justify the existence of the Book of Mormon? Well, we know the Bible is an accurate record of the Jews, yes. right? Yeah. But it's a test of faith to know that the Book of Mormon is a compendium of the record of Joseph. Wait, but it happened here in the Americas. That's so right. compendium or not, you really can't rely on the Bible to justify its material uh, existence. No, you no. have to rely on just like we no. rely. Oh, go ahead. Don't understand. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying it's the fulfillment of the scriptures that testify that the Book of Mormon is true, not geographical things. And though those okay. are missing, we believe that the time will come when, for instance, now this is, this is Doug Bundy here, all right? Wow. <laughs> the ancient inhabitants had a stone, a calendar stone. You remember that? Okay, Doug, I don't want Doug Bundy. Oh. That's why oh, we don't okay. have Doug Bundy's right. on here. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're representing what the LDS church essentially believes, right? Yeah, this, this okay. would be outside so, of that. So but. let's go forward with this just for a second because it's really important, Doug, and okay. I think you've watched enough of our shows. That God, he said, listen, I'm not just going to have a book fall from the sky and say, believe this thing. He didn't write it in clouds. He didn't write it in, in, in he had it actually formulated over 1,500 years with various authors and compiled over a series of time where we have secular history and material artifacts to show, wow. And so we can say, I don't just believe on this book because people say to believe on it. I believe on it because it really came from a real place. How do you support the Book of Mormon from that perspective? Well, that's a real challenge because you really can't. You can't identify. That's what I'm trying to say. The Book of Mormon will not be, uh, uh, it's a trial of a person's faith okay. in the Bible. It's a faith. Yeah. Okay, so if we go to chapter 29 of Isaiah, for instance, the Lord says that uh, he would bring forth a book and uh, that it would be a sealed book. Out of the book. dust of the ground? Uh, he doesn't say. He just says uh, it's a sealed book that uh, uh, is the words of which are delivered to the scholars, and they say they can't read it because it's uh, oh, sealed, right? Okay. I mean, I'm, right. just, I'm, I'm quoting the Bible. Quiet. Have I got this right? Uh, That's you, what yeah, it you're says. quoting the Bible. Right. You're right. not you're not applying it properly, oh, but you are okay. quoting but, it. Okay, but that's what I'm telling you then. All right. So the the sealed book comes forth of uh, as after it's rejected by the scholars, it comes forth to the unlearned. Okay. And the result of that is described. Okay. It's saying the deaf hear the words of the book and the blind see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Okay. And the meek increase in the earth and their joy in the earth is increased as a result of the book. Okay. And uh, the poor among men rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. That's a great quote, Doug. But the problem is, it's a book that, per that suggests that there were wars where scimitars and swords and giant shields in the Hill Cumorah and Joseph clearly uh, designated that site to be uh, within the American continent. And there's artifacts that this, that this record that came from the dust of the earth on golden plates, which were real and heavy and had to be carried and all those things. These are real things that are supposed to validate real uh, scriptural history. But you're saying no. You're saying there is nothing on no, that. No, I'm not okay. saying that. I'm, not, I'm saying that's not where the faith comes from. Okay. Okay, but how come God has established the faith for us to support our faith on material things in the Bible, a real Jerusalem? But with the Book of Mormon, he has said, believe what Joseph Smith said. No. Just believe it. The, the reason that... Uh, I was listening to a pastor uh, 
No um, anecdotes. You just no, have to answer. Is, <laughs> let me answer. Okay. <laughs> Pastor David Langford. I don't know if you're familiar no. with him. Well, last Sunday he was preaching a sermon and he was saying, faith is not faith until it's tested. This is from a, not from a Mormon, but from a pastor. And uh, he was very, very uh, insistent that a person's faith has to be tested. Well, the Lord says that he would try. He says this in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. I, when uh, Nephi uh, was about to. So you can just say it's a trial of faith. Yes, yeah, a trial of faith. Okay, it's all a trial right. Of faith. All right. It's a That's trial. The answer. Now there are a lot of artifacts, okay. but people dispute them. Okay. Know? Oh, yeah. Are they well, authenticated by real, real? Uh, you know, archaeologists? That's what I didn't want to get into. I'm not an archaeologist. Yeah, I but don't know. Has but any archaeologist that's non-LDS ever authenticated? Uh, you know, you yes don't... or no? If they have, say yes, they have. Far... They haven't, Doug. Okay. I gotta cut it because okay. we have to continue okay. on. All right, because that would be best to do it that way. So, Doug, there is no difference than in the Book of Mormon and the Quran. Would you agree? No. In terms of evidence? The Quran is horrible. But in terms of evidence? In terms of evidence, no. There's no evidence of the Quran. There's no moral imperative okay, the, for Christians within the Quran. Okay, the, do you the, understand what that I means? I do. I do okay. understand that, okay. Doug. But uh, the Islam says, listen, Muhammad received the Quran by virtue of revelation, and he, that came out without evidence. But still, we know the Quran is true by faith. So is the Quran and the Book of Mormon in terms of how you validate its authenticity on equal ground? No. Okay, how come? The reason is, is because, again, as I said, the Quran is not addressed to Christians. The Book of Mormon is addressed to the Christians, okay. the Gentile Christians. Okay. And it gives them this moral imperative that uh, either they accept it or they reject it. And there are consequences on both sides. There's no such thing in the Quran. Okay. So for, on that basis, you're saying, I'm talking about for, in terms of evidence, but we'll move forward. Do the other books of LDS scripture, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, uh, do you hold them up to the same esteem as the Book of Mormon? Absolutely. Absolutely. Pearl of Great Price. Absolutely. Okay. And um, divinely inspired in every way? Uh, yeah, I believe. Okay. So. All right. Even LDS scholars agree that Doctrine and Covenants 132 speaks openly about the eternal principle of plural marriage. What do you think of the principle as an eternal principle? And you know what that means. How is it generally received by the LDS populace today as a practice of uh, plural marriage in heaven? Oh, absolutely. Okay, thank yeah. you. It's accepted, it's uh, received, it's understood. So proud <laughs> of you. I don't know why. This is a proud moment Why for you. would anybody deny that? that you oh, know, my goodness. Just, yeah, oh, not oh, on Doug. Earth. Not on earth. Not on earth. That's no, clear. That's clear. Not practice here, but certainly an eternal principle. Absolutely. Are you looking forward to it? Oh, I, Come I, on, no, Dougie. I, I'm having a hard time. Come on, Dougie. I'm listening. I'm, Give me the real scoop here, baby. I'm trying to. If you let me talk, it's hard <laughs> enough with one wife. I can't I imagine. get all that all the time, but you know, you know, because it's so hard with one, polygamy makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Well, because I, you know, you try to work it out with one, and if it's not working, you go to the other one, baby. Yeah, I never thought about that, but you oh, try to I be. Have. You, <laughs> you try to be fair. You try to be just, and uh, I think that's why they never called me to be a bishop. I, I wouldn't do really good. At, uh, I think you do. That, I think you'd be a great bishop. Listen. <laughs> You know, and when you really think about it, if we were using that logic, then polyandry would be far better. My wife should have far more husbands so she can escape from, from me. All right, so we can't talk about the Book of Mormon without discussing skin color, okay? Oh, yeah. uh, you, you joined the church in 65. Uh, Mark Peterson, McConkie, McKay, Lee were rolling around at that time spouting all sorts of stuff on skin color. So uh, is skin tone indicative of a pre-existent uh, of pre-existent decisions, in your opinion? Uh, they've disavowed that doctrine. I never have understood that. Did, uh, you didn't believe it in 65 well, and 70 and well, 80? No, you know, we were all put in a position. I, I, still today we are. I, when we went to uh, Puerto Rico yeah. as missionaries, uh, my wife and I, we were working with Dominicans. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're so black. That yeah. They, you know, they're very, very black. And they were the most wonderful Amazing. missionaries. But and, we're not talking about your subjective no. experience here, Doug. No. I want to know if but you... But it's part of it. Did you ever think you are so black and living this way because of how you were in the pre-existence? No, they asked me. That's why I'm trying to tell you the story. Oh, okay. So we got to talking about it, right? I mean, here they are, very faithful Mormon missionaries. And, of course, they know about the doctrine. And so they, when we were talking, we talked about a lot of things, the Illuminati and... and uh, 
and various things, right? And of course, that came up, and you know, it was pretty embarrassing for me, but it wasn't for them. Okay. And 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 I said, well, uh, you know, the thing of it is, if that were true, then uh, there's going to be a lot of people in the hereafter that are a lot blacker than you are, and they laughed. They laughed really hard. Uh, so pretty good one, everybody. So, so that's. I got to ask you, though, yeah. you have an apostle, you have Marky Peterson saying, hey, this only makes sense. He's an apostle of the Lord. Yeah. And he's saying it only makes sense that the Chinaman, the Chinaman has yellow skin because of his preexistence and the black and everybody else. And this is God's way. And if you're born waspy and, and Mormon, boy, you have must have done a good job in the preexistence. You know that was taught. Did it ever resonate to you that way? And how about the general no. membership? The no. general membership. I think with my experience, all right, my experience, some of those that are born in the, uh, the church and raised in the church have that kind of an attitude. But I was a convert, as I said ah. in my opening thing. And so on the mission field, my companion and I uh, uh, started talking about it, and I was actually shocked. He was saying how he thought he was superior. He had done better in the preexistence and things. But never I, bought that. I, I never bought that. I never mm -hmm. did. I, and... I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't like talking about it because I don't think we get very far with it. We love all people as God commands us to You don't have to do the PR. We've got the PR yeah. at our nose yeah. today. Yeah. But this is stuff that's still in me, Doug. You got to understand. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I was taught that by people. But you were raised up. So you, yeah. So well, am you I were... at a disadvantage? Did I sin in the preexistence to, to be born into the church? <laughs> no, you wouldn't be <laughs> sinner. <laughs> be... <laughs> Those are questions we can't answer. There are okay. obviously various degrees of faith in the preexistence, just as there are here. But the important thing is, is that we came here because of our uh, having passed the first estate, That's fine. Right? We, we did. But that thing, that varying degrees of faith, you have to admit that automatically does not level the playing field. If you had varying degrees of faith in a preexistent state, when you get here, you've got to be equipped with something that shows that you were superior in that way than others. And that's the thinking behind buying into this preexistent deal. You get that. Yeah, I get it. I, I don't like it, but I get it. It's just. But you agree with varying degrees of faithfulness in the preexistence? I, I think it would have to be. I don't know how else it could be. How but, about no preexistence? Because the Lord said that. Huh? How about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. Doug, but before, I have a, more questions, but okay. can we forget those and next week you come back on and we'll finish those and take phone calls? You're kidding me. You want me back? Well, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the audience is applauding. You know, because you say, I mean, you're, you're a little bit of a PR guy, but you're pretty darn good and I, I appreciate that. Well, yeah. Okay. If that's so can case. we go to calls? Sure. All right. We're going to James in Oakley, California. James, you're on Heart of the Matter. <laughs> Already hung up. We're going to Marie, Camp Pendleton. Marie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? You're on with Sean McCraney and Douglas Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm just calling in. I've been watching your show since I was, good heavens, a teenager. And um, I'm originally from Utah. My husband's a Marine. <laughs> and... Um, I decided to leave the church uh, earlier last year, and I was a return missionary. I served in the temple. I was I was a uh, ordinance worker, and um, it's it's been your show that's actually you know helped me sort out all the questions that I had and be able to find the answers. And I I really want to thank you. And I'm I'm so sorry, Doug. I know you probably didn't want to hear that, but actually I did. I want to talk to all of you that have that. We're apologizing to him now. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on in this world? Dogs and cats getting along. <laughs> Go on, Marie. Tell us your question. Um, I I just wanted to know um, what is a good way um. To help my, I've lost all of my family members, my mother, my father, all my brothers. What is a great way to help them understand what I'm going through? I'm going to answer, and then, I, and then Doug, I want, I want to ask Doug a question, to, if you'll stay on for a second, Marie. Uh, listen, ah, yeah. sometimes it's not going to be your job to reach those family members. Sometimes the emotions are too tight. And there's too much of them trying to get you back and you trying to resist and bring them to a knowledge. 
So, so the best thing to do is pray and represent Christ in your life to them and show that you pray for them and love them and be Christ to your family. That's my opinion the best way. If a door opens and someone asks you a question in the family, by all means, step through and give them your best stuff. But in the meantime, don't burn bridges. Don't ostracize. Don't say they're in a cult. Don't say they're going to hell. Just love as Christ would love. Doug, I want to know something. Why, and, and this is the case, in the majority of the cases that we hear from, are families in the LDS Church ostracizing people who don't just become inactive, but they ostracize the ones who become Christian? Why does that happen? Well, this guy's that, eating candy. He is so relaxed. He's no, eating candy. It's not candy. It's a breath mint. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the I think you give very good advice, uh, Marie. The, it's really important that the Lord has the answer. So if we go to the Lord in prayer, if we study the scriptures and try to understand what uh, why they are following. Joseph Smith or why you are following Jesus Christ or not following Joseph Smith, then we get to the crux of the matter. But it's, uh, it takes a great deal of faith. It takes a great deal of, uh, of uh, love and understanding. And, and it's a real trial. I, I feel for you. I understand how it would be very, very difficult. I think the best example you have <laughs> is the example that Sean has given in his life. I think it's amazing. I see how much love there is between him and his family members. And uh, I think that's the way you should go. But if I had my chance, I would try to persuade you that Joseph Smith is indeed a prophet of okay, God. Okay, we're done with that. <laughs> okay, now wait a second. I got to ask Doug something. Doug, would you, if you had to choose, would you rather have a son go inactive to drugs, alcohol, wine and women and song, or become an evangelical Christian full-blown, early-year Sean McCraney, which would you choose? You can only choose one or the other. Wow. <clears throat> that would be very difficult. Woo! I love that. I love that. I'm thinking of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son said to his father, give me the inheritance that falls to me, and I'm going to go and do just like you described. Yeah. But then when he tasted the bitter, he knew what the sweet was, and he came back. Right. So then you're saying that if he became an evangelical Christian... He wouldn't taste the bitter. Things would be good for him in his relationship with Christ. That would break your heart more. The reason why, yes, the reason why is because then you have to find some way of reaching them that uh, uh, a lot of times they don't want to talk about. You know, they don't engage. Got it. But the sins and the suffering cause the, the prodigal son to engage. Listen, I like Doug and this, for this reason. That's the exact same thing I would, I would believe about, uh, that's what I think about sin. If somebody who has children who are going to fall into sin, God will use that sin to bring them around to their senses. They will break under that. Although I don't agree with Doug, I think that becoming a, a, a Christian in the sense is, is the, the, the ultimate goal of anybody and their parents. So that's always interesting to me how LDS, and this is pervasive, uh, if they would rather have their child remain possibly an alcoholic that still had clings to the church than to become like a, a full-blown Christian that says, no, it's Jesus only. By the way, we've got a lot of calls. Marie, is there anything else? No, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you, both of you. You're doing a wonderful thing. God bless, Marie. Keep going, my sister. Thank we're, you. We're going to Ronnie in Westport Smith, Ohio on line one. Ronnie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, Ronnie. Um, I, uh, is it Sean? Sean and Doug. Well, uh, Sean, I just want to tell you, man, I'm really happy to talk to you. I've watched a lot of your videos on YouTube. It's a real honor to talk to you now. Thanks, my friend. The uh, question I have is, why do Mormons wear those white undergarments? Doug. <clears throat> Those uh, are the symbols that they wear that are representatives, representative of the covenants that they have made in the temple. And uh, they make those covenants uh, uh, in order to proceed along the path that Jesus said that we need to enter. 
And, uh, and we don't talk about them outside of the temple. Uh, unfortunately, others are beginning to do that. But, but uh, for faithful Latter-day Saints, we don't, we don't really discuss a lot of that. But think about how a Catholic wears a crucifix around his neck. Uh, I guess it would be uh, really helpful to understand it in that sense. It's just a little more ex extensive. Okay, and one thing, uh, I would just clarify this, and Doug may disagree, but uh, the garment are, do not represent what Jesus said must be entered into to follow the path. That is an interpretation of men, of things that those garments represent. It's not that they represent necessarily bad things. It, well, maybe in some cases, but we won't go into it. But I just don't believe that Jesus ever said, these things you have to do to enter into life eternal. And, and, and Doug is kind of saying that, that, that it is. Does that help, uh, Ronnie? That, that helps out so much. I really appreciate uh, answering that question for me. <laughs> God bless, my friend. Talk to you later. We're going to Allison, Allison in Clearwater, Florida. Allison, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Um, I love your show. Thanks. Just wanted to ask uh, Doug a quick question. Um, in 1954, the uh, apostle Mark E. Peterson told BYU students that uh, if a Negro is faithful all of his days, he can and will enter the celestial kingdom and he will go there as a servant. But he will still go there as a uh, celestial resurrection. I want to know, as a black woman, how do you, how do you feel about that comment? I mean, this, that passage. Well, as I said, I, I really don't like that. I, uh, I couldn't imagine that those missionaries who I thought were better missionaries than I was in Puerto Rico... Uh, of course, they've gone through the temple, and those things have changed since Mark E. Peterson. But uh, this is a real controversy. I just hated the fact that the church came out with that statement. As soon as I heard it, I knew these questions were going to be really difficult to answer because it puts the Latter-day Saints in a really particular, particularly uncomfortable position with this, especially given the... the uh, the position of, of uh, race and racism in our society. But uh, I think that things change. And if we read in the Doctrine and Covenants section one, the Lord, uh, I think it's uh, 24, 5 uh, through 28, the Lord talks about his servants. And he says, in as much as they err, they may receive wisdom. And in as much as they sin, they may be chastised, that they may learn to humble themselves. So, I think it's more the idea that prophets can't make mistakes uh, that we're into now uh, rather than uh, they've made a mistake and now they're therefore not prophets. So I'm curious, Doug, when you were, I'm sorry, Allison, this is a question for Doug. While you were a member in 65, 66, 70, 75, 80, 85, and you had a, you had a heart to not believe this stuff, and yet you belong to a church, you paid tithing to a church, you went to a temple to a church that taught all this stuff. And now the church is saying this was a mistake of men, but you went along with that. How do you justify that? Well, you can't justify it. You know, you suffer it. Okay, all right. One difference between Mormonism, isms, is, and Christianity is Christians say, I do nothing. I will suffer nothing. But for Christ, if a man tells me, if, if Ole Osteen comes up and says, you need to do this, and it is not right in the eyes of God, we say, Vanapole to Joel Osteen. I don't even know if that's how you do it. We say, to hell with you, uh, uh, Mr. Harold B. Lee and your racist comments. That doesn't happen in Mormonism. How come? Well, the reason is, is because those men are called and anointed and you don't speak against the Lord's anointed. That's very clear in the Bible. But if they're anointed and they're doing that, can you be really God's fearing and God's serving if they are telling you stuff that is an absolute lie? See, I told you, Dave, this is what it was going to get to. Uh, I, no, this, I'm doing this I, friendly. No, no, I know. It's not that you're not friendly, but it's really difficult because you can go back into Christianity and look. Don't look at, bring, no, not into Christianity. Oh, you can go back me. into religion, but Christianity has never, ever condoned. Christianity, Christ on, never condoned racism of any kind. Christianity, no. 
Okay, so Luther wasn't a Christian. Luther was a Christian man, but if Luther said, hate Jews, anybody who had a heart and read the Bible would say, Luther, Fanapole! <laughs> and that's why there's 41,000 different denominations. That's right, and God allows us to pursue with good conscience, but why don't the Mormons? The Mormons uh, believe that this is the church that was established by the hand of God. It's the church of the Lamb of God. And so is there a so problem in that? There's a, no, no, there's no problem in that. There's okay. a problem in the fact that the leaders, uh, just like sticks, you know, that, that are set up to guide you, they may be crooked, they may be bent over or whatever, but they're still there. And if you follow them, everything, for as far as the Latter-day Saints are concerned, that's part of their faith that they've been called by the inspiration of God, and you follow them. They may, may make mistakes. They may uh, be okay. ugly. All kinds of different things. And Allison, I would, I would say to you, the difference now, as we're seeing with Doug and I, is Christians say, Phanopoli to any man who says something that is contradictory to the word, and Mormons say, we will follow our leader. And that has been proven. Through all those Thank things, you, and Doug, have, you have to agree. Oh, I agree, but okay. the problem is, is that now they're not saying phenopoly when they should be saying phenopoly because their leaders among the Christian body or the body of Christ are uh, not even preaching uh, against and sin. And I say phenopoly to them. Yeah. <laughs> I so, agree with you. No, that's right. So We <laughs> are the champions, my friends. <laughs> All right. And I don't think it's Phenopoly, but we're going to get in trouble for that, Doug. <laughs> All right. We got Allison. Really good call. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye. We are going to Chris in Dallas, Texas on line three. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter with Doug Bundy. Isn't that a famous name? It is. It's All an right. Illuminati name. Sorry. Oh. It wasn't a character on TV? Yeah. Yeah. It was also that. And Ted and then Bundy. there was Ted Bundy, the famous murderer. No relation? Serial murderer. No relation? No, he wasn't actually a Bundy. He, had, he adopted that name. Okay. Uh, Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, thanks for having me. Um, I'll try to be quick and I run out of time. Uh, quickly on Allison's call there, I just wanted to you know, say I think this, this is a great argument just for doing away with religion. And if you're going to be a Christian, focus on just Christ, just the Bible. Don't follow any man, you know, just do it like that. Anyways, my question is for Doug and for Sean to respond, um, do you accept that uh, uh, Heavenly Father, God, the Father, whatever, uh, was formerly a man? If he was a man, did he worship a God? And so following that back and back eternally into the past, how many gods would you imagine could exist, whether you recognize them or not? And who created the universe who created everything. It's always been God going backwards and forwards through time infinitely. Doug, you got, you got 30 seconds to answer. Right. Uh, <laughs> the idea is uh, that Mormons worship one God. That's a misconception. There are many people, uh, the Lord Jesus prayed that the Father would make all his disciples there one with him. And so as a ruler, then this is what we find the problem is we don't define what God means. And so if we understand, first of all, what the word Elohim means, and, uh, and then we understand what the Bible teaches about the uh, eternal life and salvation of, of man uh, through the atonement. Doug, your 30 seconds. Is yeah, okay. Listen, Doug, so, do you know, that's yes an impossible no. question. Did the Father, do LDS believe that God had a father? Yes or no? Absolutely. 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 And did his father have a father? Absolutely, so but they're one God. They're one God? They're one God. Okay. Who do you believe created the universe, Doug? God. Created everything. God. Where did that come from? God. Okay, and it's the, it's the same God, or is it the... It's the God of Israel. Okay, so he, he's talking about henotheism, and it means this is the God we worship. And so he is speaking in terms of we worship this God. That's the only God with which we have to do, but we acknowledge that there are gods beyond him. Would that be correct? There are, there are persons beyond him, but they, they become one, as Jesus taught. Same spirit. Same, yeah, they become one. Now, Christians are going to rule and reign as God, sitting on the throne of God. That's perfectly clear from the book of Revelation. 
So uh, we have one minute left. Chris, call us next week with a follow-up if you would. Aaron, John, right, thank, you. thank you, Chris. Gary in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, we're sorry we can't take your call tonight. We're out of time. But next week, are you going to come back? Absolutely. Okay, Doug is coming back. We have follow-up questions. We'll take your calls, and let's see if we can sort through and keep going with this. I I've enjoyed this very much. Well, I have to. Any final so departing words? No big PR. Just give a fine word. I am very happy to be here. Thank well, you. thank you for In coming. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We will see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Good job, my brother. Thank you.